Welcome to the Gritty Leaders Club. I'm really excited today because I'm interviewing Jim Kirkwood, a person I've known for seven, eight years. A wonderful man who's had a stellar career in Fujitsu Siemens, Barclays, LG, and Eastman Kodak. Before building AA Drive Tech from a small startup of turnover about a million pounds to a scale up business of over 45 million, and he did that in 10 years. He then moved on to TTC, where with the support of Palatine Private Equity, he led an MBO which concluded in July 2017. TTC has gone from strength to strength with Jim's leadership. We're going to hear why he left AA DriveTech, what were his motives, what led him to join TTC, how he's handled the pandemic and what the future holds for the business. And finally, the tips he offers aspiring leaders today. Jim's a great leader, a storyteller and a wonderful human being. So let's hear the interview, shall we? So, welcome to the Gritty Leaders Club, Mr. Kirkwood. It's lovely to have you on. Jim, we've known each other for some time. In fact, you're a member of my Vistage group for about five years. And it was really great fun to watch you build AA Drive Tech over that time. And towards the end of 2016, you moved to TTC and did an MBO of that business. So I suppose the question I'd like to start with is, what attracted you to move to TTC? You know, what pulled you in that direction at that time? Look, it's great to be here. I'm very privileged, honoured to be invited on and looking forward to having a good conversation to you and to the listeners, obviously, as well. And hello to Mr. Wales, I should say, too. But look, the thing that drew me to TTC is uh, opportunity. And you mentioned a business called Drive Tech that I was involved with for a number of years. And I guess that in terms of road safety, the Drive Tech business, certainly from 2000 and nine to 2014 had become the market leader effectively particularly in b2b much was involved in educating people who had been caught on speed cameras we were obviously involved in corporate training and and look this was exciting it was a business that was growing it was scaling up we we made an acquisition in holland we were servicing a number of markets We'd taken that business from 10 million to around 45 million in five years. So it was rapidly ramping up. Mm. And then fundamentally something changed. And, and the thing that changed was the management team. Mm -hmm. And the management team at the AA moved from being a team that were very supportive of the business that we were growing. They were very much behind what we we're trying to do. They could see the ambitions of this business working together to eliminate road death and serious injuries, which I still do think today is a very honourable cause, particularly for folks who've been involved in anything to do with road traffic incidents. But fundamentally, I realised I was in a business that was no longer core to the AA. It was a business that was drifting. I was somebody leading that business that was drifting. I lost heart to be honest, mm. and I started to lose will. And I realised that the values of the business were no longer aligned in many respects to my own personal values. And so I stepped away from that business in March, 2016. Mm. But I knew, I knew deep down that there was, a, there was still a big opportunity and a big job to get done. And it's funny, you know, we talk about stories as we're going along and people do business with people, but, you know, looking across the fence, my biggest competitor in the market, the police market in particular in the UK, whilst I was working was TTC. Mm -hmm. It was a Friday morning. I'd been asked to go into London into the AA's offices in Covent Garden 
And uh, I had a conversation with the then chief exec of the AA, a chap called Bob McKenzie. It was quite a strange meeting, but at the end of it, agreed that it was time to kind of step away from from running drive tech. And, and I, I took about an hour, really. I didn't talk to anybody. I remember coming out the AA building, walking down to Covent Garden tube station, getting the tube out to my car again at Heathrow Airport, getting in the car. And it must have been about an hour before I picked up the phone to someone to say, here's what's happened and where I find myself. But actually, the really bizarre thing that happened was within about an, a, another hour, mm. Jenny Wynn at TTC had rung yeah. me up. How, biz- how bizarre wow. is that? Jenny Wynn and Graham Wynn owned TTC. And Jenny rang me up and said, how are you getting on and how are things? And wouldn't it be great to meet up? Graham and I would love to have a conversation with you about a few things. And I said, well, Jenny, I've... I've got a bit of news for you. (laughs) (laughs) And what then ensued was a conversation that led me to a place where within hours of leaving the AA, I was already mentally starting to think about the opportunity that might lie ahead. And of course, the AA restricted me and what I could do. And so there was a period of six months or so uh, where I couldn't work for them. I couldn't work for TTC, Mm -hmm. that is. But across the summer, I was getting my head together around what the potential opportunity might be. I could see that TTC was a business that had become very successful, as I say, in the public Mm. sector. But it had no focus at all in in the corporate area at all. It it had nothing there. Almost 100% of its revenues were in the public mm-hmm. sector and i genuinely thought that here's an opportunity now to do what to be honest i hadn't been able to do at drive tech and that was take a business from being very small i mean when i joined drive tech in 2004 it was revenues were about a million pounds and here we were 10 12 years later with a business that was 45 million pounds and and the big thing for me was uh, i felt i could mm-hmm. do it again that was the thing, if you like, belief that I had that I could do it again. And Graham and Jenny were at a point in their lives where they were keen to step back from the day to day. And I became more and more interested across the summer of 2016 in what I could do. So I joined TTC in November 2016 and then led ultimately what became the management to buy out the business in July 2017. And it was all around opportunity. Mm-hmm. It was all around the things that I thought we could do that we hadn't been able to do through either lack of investment or a business that ultimately was drifting. And I think in big corporates, sometimes it's all too easy to just to stay in there because you feel comfortable. It's, it's cozy. You know, the people, yeah. you know, it's great to challenge yourself. And, and I think that's one of the things that kind of I've come to learn kind of drives mm. me personally is the fact that I like the challenge and I like the opportunity to take things on. And I particularly like it when people say it can't Mm. be done. That's the thing I think that really gets me is when someone says to me, we've got a big challenge, really questioning whether we can do this. And that's the thing, I suppose, that for me, so real sense of purpose to to a lot extent is is sitting in behind that. And so to answer your question around TTC and why I joined, fundamentally, it was around opportunity and how I could do it again, build a business, take it forward and effectively do it again, but only this time do it a lot better than what I had done with the drive tech business. And it sounds like a couple of things you said earlier in that in that team had changed. So you weren't as comfortable mm. with perhaps who was around you and who had an input mm. on how things were done. But also you said it, it didn't really fit my values anymore. Knowing you, Jim, there's a real sense of values and purpose behind what you want to do. You want to make a difference. And where was mm-hmm. that showing up 
in TTC? I mean, you've mentioned the two owners of TTC. Was that coming from them, the values, the purpose being driven by them, or could you see it in other ways in TTC? Yeah, I mean, Graham and Jenny were passionate about what they were doing. Their business had been founded originally in drink driving. They had been a force behind the re-education of people who had been... you know, caught mm-hmm. drinking and driving. And as a result of which, actually much of what they had done established the framework today where if you are caught drink driving and you go through an education program, you've got the opportunity to get that disqualification period reduced by 25% if you grasp the nettle and undertake some education. So for me, their journey and subsequently on into other areas of education, as I said, speed awareness was one, mm-hmm. being caught in a camera as opposed to points to your license where you're involved in a road traffic accident, red light jumping, uh, seat belts, for example. We still get issues today, believe it or not, with seat belts. You know, all of those things were still were heavily aligned around what I was trying to do with Drive Tech, working together to eliminate road death and serious injuries whilst building a really successful business around that. And my aspirations to go there were driven partly as a result of that, but also the point you made earlier, Ian, Mm. around purpose. If I go back many years to when I was growing up, you know, perhaps even as far back as my teenage years, I was brought Mm -hmm. up on the west coast of Scotland and my father Mm -hmm. was in the fishing industry. And if you know the fishing industry, it's it's challenging, it's cold, the hours are long, you're dependent Mm -hmm. on things like the tides. And my father ran a fishing business there, and it, it was a pretty tough life. And so you didn't know necessarily the hours of day or night you were going to be working, but you were kind of expected to work. And as I grew up into my teenage years, I was expected to support the family business, get out of bed early in the morning, work with dad, however long it, it took. And on the other side, my mum was, was a GP. She was a doctor in the area. So when someone rang up and said, I'm unwell, Dr. Kirkwood, can you come and see me? Yeah. She'd go and see them. And, and it was this kind of rural situation where she'd get in the car and off she'd go for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, sometimes to places in the back of beyond. But nevertheless, with a great sense of purpose that, you know, she wanted to make somebody well again. And so those two individuals had a profound impact on me. And and that gave mm. me a great work ethic. And, and it based my purpose on the fact that it was all about family. It was all about community. It was all about that ripple effect that results matter to people and and going the extra mile was important and so i've i've kind of carried that if you like through my life and and my work ethic remains very very strong and that sense of purpose and that drive even now at 61 i mean i mean my chairman was saying to me the other day you've got bags more energy than i have mate at 52 you're still getting up early in the morning you're still going to work you're still doing what you do and i think leading a business giving Mm. people that sense of purpose communicating well is so important to people and and of course for me now that sense of purpose is around both my family you know Mm. caroline and reese and the family but it's also around the team that I've got and every, every member of that team is important to me. And certainly in the recent times when we've walked a journey together through this whole lockdown pandemic period, you know, my my resolve to make sure that people across my business have been looked after has been at the very heart of what we've been doing, but nevertheless, continuing to run the business in a very positive way. So purpose is key, strong mm. work ethic, understanding what it is you're doing and why you're doing it, but with a clear line of direction, you know, having having a clear line of sight as to what it is you're trying to achieve, accepting that bumps in the road will come along and 
from time to time, you've got to go through the tough times as well as the good times, but always at the back of it, remembering that if this mm. was easy, mm. everyone would be doing mm. it. Everybody would be doing it. And, 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 and the truth mm. be told mm. is they're not. When I look at your business, you talk about protecting people on the move. And I, I talk about having decision filters in businesses that guide you. And if we go back far enough, we find Michael Porter saying strategies about what you don't do as much as what you do. And so how does the three parts of your business come together? How does it connect? I know you're really big on data and and technology to drive the future of the business. Tell us how the three parts of the business fit together. Well, mobility, if you think about the journey through Mm. life, we all take from a very early age, we learn to walk. And then typically you'll see people get on a bicycle. Uh, that'll then become maybe a scooter or a motorbike. And then eventually Mm. you'll learn to drive a car. Typically you'll pass your test at 17. And by the way, everybody at 17 is the world's greatest driver, I can assure you. (laughs) Uh, We're certainly all above average. And then you'll go through life, you know, driving a car, a van, a bus, a truck, a coach, whatever it might be. And then later on in life, as we get into our older years and, and the DVLA write to us and say, let's check your driving license for things like health and eyesight, Eventually, there'll come a day when, unfortunately, you've got to hang the keys up again mm-hmm. and, and, and we're back to walking again. And that is a journey. I call it sunrise to sunset. This is the journey we'll take through life. Every one of us will take that journey in some way, shape or form. And so, you know, mobility, mm-hmm. uh, all of these things are connected. And from educating young children how to cross the road properly through to educating kids on bicycles, such as cycling proficiency, I sometimes refer to it in the mm-hmm. business if it's tires and tarmac. Mm-hmm. Effectively, we're we're interested, and and the way in which we connect those is, you know, we're seeing the development now of e-scooters, you know, in terms of and and, and yeah. particularly the speed with which some of these 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 things can go. So you know, we're mindful in terms of of, of broadening education there. Clearly, as far as our police business is concerned, that's really around educating the motorists because fundamentally, at the age of seventeen, you, you pass your driving test, and unless you're involved in some major incident, you'll, you'll go all the way through life to the age of 70 before the DVLL write to you again and say, we better check your driving license. Now, <clears throat> in most mm. walks of life today in corporate, you know, you'll, you'll find yourself going through a number of training courses, you know, technology is evolving and changing dramatically here. And yet driving a car, you know, you pass your test, you get your license and you go all the way through yeah. life and nothing happens. <laughs> so, so broadening the education as we, and, and actually that's where I think these diversionary courses have been very good, just reinforcing training over a period of time. And equally for, for companies and corporates who are engaged for people who drive on their behalf, it's important to check if someone's got a driving license or they're appropriately insured or their vehicle's MOT'd. Why is that important? It's important from the driver's perspective, but from a company perspective, it's it's immensely important. Reputational risk has become one of mm. the big issues for a lot of corporates today. You know, you want to see your company out there, certainly as one of the leaders. Everyone's aspiring to get their business to be certainly competent in what they're doing, but equally compliant. And from a reputational perspective, Mm. nobody wants a bad reputation. And so if you've got a, you know, a myriad or a cohort of drivers that are running around the place causing havoc, you know, that's simply not good news. So I certainly see in the corporate sector, more and more folks who are coming to us because they want to address both compliance and reputational Mm -hmm. risk. They want to drive cost out their business and they want to know how to do that. But you're right about technology and data. And this is one of the really interesting aspects to me because, in, in the mid-2014 
14, 15, we'd seen mm. this proliferation of handheld devices, you know, a a Apple iPhones, Samsung devices, etc. And that has continued, as has access to more and more data through this thing called the cloud. And now you can get a, a, a really good view of how someone is performing behind the wheel, something that you know, we weren't able to do even 10 years ago. I mean, we talk about black boxes going into vehicles for young drivers. Now we can track people on apps and all sorts of other ways from, you know, accident management data. We can track them through, as I say, connected cameras, black boxes. We can track them through parking tickets, speeding offences. There's a, there's a myriad of ways in which you can gain access to how, you know, mm. someone is performing behind the wheel of a car. And, ultimate, and ultimately, if you think about, you know, the development of that, that's moving into kind of gamification and rewarding drivers for performing better mm -hmm. ultimately. And then on into the insurance companies who want a better way to underwrite and insure, you know, a premium. So the way this is connected is really education's at the heart of it. Education is driving an awareness and an interest in the subject. It's often the case when I've seen someone come off a speed course and it might be someone of my age, you know, just over 60 or maybe someone forties and fifties, they'll often say, my, my son or my daughter, they should be doing this course, <laughs> you know, because at 17 to 24 right. years of age, you're the world's greatest driver. You've got in your car and the thing, particularly mm. for your young male, mm. you want to find out how fast it goes. And of course, it's only when things go wrong that you realize actually maybe you could have done with a bit more knowledge. Yeah, uh, well, it's, it's true, isn't it? I mean, we just have to educate people. I can see that's driving you, but let's right. throw in this thing we none of us really could predict that started almost a year ago this pandemic which you know for some of my clients it, it impacted them hugely for others it's been a massive opportunity which they've grown incredibly during it how has it impacted ttc well let me tell you a story so I took the decision at the beginning of my COVID lockdown that my mother, who's still alive and up in Scotland at 95 and with the support of Caroline, my wife, that I was going to go and embed myself in Scotland and I was going to spend time with mum and I was going to use the internet to gain access to the business and see if we could, we could run this in any way online. But I do remember a call. Uh, that I had with my finance director on the 30th of March. And bear in mind, on the 23rd of March, Boris Johnson had said, we're in lockdown, guys, and you've got to stay at home. And my question mm -hmm. to my FD was, how long do you think we've got? And he said, well, Jim, there's three or four things. And if they all run against us, we've probably got till the end of June. Wow. That's a true story. And... The net result of that was the following day, after having given some thought to it that afternoon, the following day, I, I called a management meeting. And at that management meeting, over a course of a few hours, the team at TTC started to think about how we were going to address those individual aspects that would get us out of this situation. And one of the key attributes of that was effectively mm -hmm. pivoting this business on its head much of what we did was venue-based. Much of what we did was inviting people to come along to a venue or, you know, meeting them in a car park to undertake some form of education. And so effectively, we pivoted this business on its head. And within two weeks, we had our wow. first um, online course running. Through April and May, that scaled up. We were using, we decided we would use Zoom as a platform. So we scaled our business up through April and May. 
by June, you know, we were running practically everything online. And that was across both our police business and our corporate business. We used our time wisely to invest in what needed to get done. I called a stand up every day at one o'clock, every day. I called it the COVID red team. We were on a stand up every day, one o'clock, relentless. It was all about purpose. It was all about communication. It was all about realizing that if we didn't get it right, you know, we had a big problem. And that problem didn't just resonate with the customers and the police forces mm. we were serving. That resonated with the people in the business. And for me, the people who support this business are absolutely critical, not only to the ongoing success of the company, but it was critical to me that we handled our people well because we're, we're used to folks working in offices. Mm. Now we had groups of people working from home. We had to set them up to work from home. We had to give thought to people's mental health, their well-being. I was aware through the work I was doing with the police forces that domestic abuse was on the rise. I was aware yeah. that things like alcohol was on the rise. And so we were starting to deal with a myriad of different challenges across the business, but we were relentless in our pursuit of what we wanted to do. And as I say, every day we held a stand up, every day we had a communication session, and every week I sent a note to the team, to the, the entire TTC business, telling them what we were doing, telling them we were financially stable, telling them that they had a future in this business. And the other thing we did was we made sure that everybody was paid at 100%. Wow. We didn't take any money mm -hmm. off the table for anybody. Now, we furloughed mm -hmm. some people, but for the people who were clearly working for us, we continued to pay them at 100%. Net result of all of that was the buy-in, the commitment, our staff surveys were coming back extremely positive. We broadened the net to engage and involve people across our business to help us with some things we were trying to deal with. And I've got to say, by the summer of last year, we'd got ourselves back to a position where our trading was heading in the right direction for sure. And as face-to-face -face activities started to re-engage again, we saw ourselves come out the end of 2020 in a place where we've traded probably around 70-75% mm -hmm. of what we would have expected to trade through 2020 and coming into 21, I've just been looking at the financials for Jan Feb this year and we're pretty mm. much on budget at the moment. So as a business, we've had to completely rethink this business, put it on its head, run everything online as opposed to in venues. But what COVID has done for us, it's been a catalyst for change. It's given us permission to change and it has truncated our decision-making from things that might have taken a couple of years three to four years, maybe even longer to happen. It's truncated that decision-making to a point where our business is running entirely differently to what it was 12 months ago. The way we think about our people is entirely different to 12 months ago. We've got mental health, we've got well-being programs running, we've got domestic abuse program running, we've got alcohol program running. And the fact is, I think going forward, we'll mm -hmm. end up with three cohorts of people. We'll have those who want to work in the office because they much prefer to do that. We'll have those who want to work at home because that's the way they want to work. And we'll have this flexi group who are two to three days a week in the office and two to three days a week at home. We've listened to our people. And I think that's one of the really important attributes. You know, we've been listening to people through the surveys we've been conducting, telling us what they want, what they're looking for, the support, the help. But behind all of it, the two things that I think have really helped us through all of this have mm. been, one, providing people with a sense mm. of purpose 
And secondly, regular communication. Mm. And by regular communication, I mean almost daily communication so that people feel engaged, involved, they know what's happening. And, and that has been critical to where we are. And where we find ourselves today is in a good place, both from our customers, the police forces we serve, 14 of them, but also the corporate clients that we're mm. working with. Clearly, from a cycling perspective, the schools are at a standstill. But again, we continue to look after our people who are currently furloughed through to the end of April, certainly. Who knows how we'll take that forward beyond that. But there's no doubt the pandemic threw up challenges, but it's thrown opportunities. And I do mm. think that, to your point early on, in around technology, data, those things are the, the areas we're really focusing on as we seek to grow the business going forward. So we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. There's excitement around the place that the pandemic is under control, if you like, mm -hmm. there's a feeling of that. However, there's an underlying feeling that COVID-19 isn't going away. There's going to be something that's going to affect us going forward. But as you said, you've had that year, really, where you've restructured the business slightly, you've refocused it, you've engaged your people. What does it look like for you now, looking ahead three years? Is that the same roadmap, the, the same path you saw a year ago? Or is it now shifted a bit because you're in this different position? What does it look like now going forward for TTC? Yeah, there's greater focus on technology and data. I mean, our business has absolutely been transformed. One of the things that keeps me awake at night now is cybersecurity. I was talking to my group IT director about that only a couple of days ago, and we're going to be forming a forum within the business as we look at what we're doing. Our, the, the amount of data we have, what we're doing, our line of travel, and I can foresee that that is going to grow significantly, both from a both from a perspective of what we're doing with our public sector police business, but more importantly, what we're doing with our corporate business. And so we've had to we've had to be fleet of foot on a number of fronts here. But certainly, you know, the roadmap for mm -hmm. me is around technology, data, business development, coupled with behind the scenes, clearly uh, a growing need and challenge around, you know, cybersecurity and making sure that our platforms mm -hmm. and, and the way in which we interact with our customers are, are well looked after. Mm -hmm. But that roadmap for us is continued growth in the UK. We certainly see that accelerating. We, we've got a number of acquisition opportunities in front of us at the moment that we are considering mm -hmm. making. And ultimately, you know, the internationalization of the business, mm. because what we do in the UK, people drive cars and they drive cars all over the world. So the opportunity to take and do what we're doing here and potentially do it elsewhere from a simple thing like checking a driving license mm. all the way through to educating a driver, it's not unique to the UK. We had started to demonstrate that back in my time at DriveTech, but I think with the support of the investors we've got on board today, we've got a great mm. opportunity to take that forward in the next three to five years. I think it's really exciting. There's a massive upside here for us. And what, as I say, COVID has given us is the opportunity mm. to, to really drive that in to a digital environment, which is something that I think this industry has been aspiring to. But what COVID has done is it's given it, it's been the catalyst, it's given it the permission and it's truncated the timelines on that to make all of this happen. Mm -hmm. I've got to be honest, I don't have to motivate my team. They are extremely motivated by what lies in front of them now. And I think if you look at the competitive landscape yeah. in which we, we're operating, it's a fantastic opportunity for us because a few of our competitors are still trying to re-engineer their businesses and in some cases they're trying to work out how much investment they're going to put in but i'd like to think as far as ttc is concerned the trains left the station we're already on the journey we're already on the journey 
you've told people on the podcast your age, you've got this huge experience, you're still hugely energetic about what you can achieve every day when you get up and go into work. You'll have looked at some rising stars in your business and hoped that they would be able to reach their full potential. What advice and guidance would you give them in their 20s and their 30s from somebody who's been there and done it? What's the big things that you'd say to these rising stars? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question, you know, because when you get the opportunity, as we all do over a glass of wine or whatever, to reflect back on our time and what we would have done differently, I think in the cold light of the day, there's probably four or five things that for me kind of come to mind. And, you know, I've chatted to my team around these on and off over the last little while. But for me, I think fundamentally at the, at the heart of all of this lies the fact that I think mm. you've got to be true to yourself. The person you see is the person you are. So authenticity, I think, is really important. And accepting the fact, I think, secondly, that you don't have all the answers and trying to uh, convey a, a picture that we all have all the answers, we know it's all the false picture. The, 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 the element that you and I have discussed before around vulnerability and the fact you've got to accept that we all have issues, we all have weaknesses and points of weakness, and it's good to surround yourself. I often take a view that, you know, surround yourself with people who are better than you uh, because that makes life a lot a lot easier. But having said that, these individuals look at life through a different lens, and, and I think it's always good to surround you, yourself with people who, who do that. And so having the ability to be both authentic but at the same time vulnerable actually sets a good stall out for your management team because they recognize the strength that comes from that and one of the comments i made to one of my team earlier on this week was accept failures as being good accept mm -hmm. failures mm -hmm. as being good for in doing so you'll find winning becomes easier right and i do think that sometimes mm -hmm. you know in business we look at things and we think we can't fail you know we can't make a mistake we can't do things wrong but I think in accepting mentally failure, and, and I've seen a number of these as I've gone along in my life, you know, in the last few mm -hmm. years, the building of the corporate business that we've done at TTC had a number of false starts. Mm -hmm. But actually, through that, we learned how to get it right. <laughs> we learned how to get it right. And therefore, winning became easier because we were suddenly on a journey that we knew where we were taking the boxes. I think that I think coupling that with ask great questions always ask great questions listen be a listener and remember also that running a business isn't a democracy at the end of the day someone has to take the final shout and that will boil down to the person who's leading the business and as i've said before if it was easy everyone would be doing this but it's not it's a tough seat to hold but use the people around you to inform you to give you insight and that makes it a better decision in the end. And finally, I'd say where you're dealing with your customers, and this goes back to that story I, I mm -hmm. was giving you a little while back about working in my dad's yeah. fish shop. Always remember, people buy from people. That's as true today as it was 50 years ago. People buy from people. So be authentic, be credible, accept your flaws, be willing to make mistakes, because through all of that, you will pull through times of real adversity, uh, whether it's in your professional life or your personal life. And, and so those things are the things mm. that I've been conveying to my guys in different ways 
over the last few years. Uh, and, and I guess when the time right comes and someone says to me, you know, write it all down as you're as you've been doing in a book or whatever, you know, I'll elaborate on those things yeah. in more detail. But certainly for me, those are yeah. some of the key things to remember. Mm. It's not all about the money and, and making money. That all mm-hmm. comes. That, that's all an end result of all of this. But fundamentally, you know, be true mm. to yourself and keep the belief and the faith in what you're doing. And, and if you do that with those attributes around you, in my view, you won't go far wrong. A great list. And uh, I'm not surprised it's a great list. And it's no good giving a lovely list to people in your organization about how to be a leader if you're not living those things day in, day out, every day, because they'll see straight through it, which comes back to your authenticity, uh, uh, number one, which was absolutely vital. So, Jim, just one last question we're going to finish on today. It's been fabulous having you on the podcast. But one last question, which is, it's called the Gritty Leaders Club. And I would love to know who would get your vote for the gritty leader you most admire, alive or dead? You've got a choice of anyone. We've got the hugely talented Bezos and Jobs, and we've got Nelson Mandela and uh, Mother Teresa and Barack <laughs> Obama. Who, who are you going to choose, Jim, and, and why? Look, I, um, so I'm 61, and, uh, you know, as you say, I mean, Crikey, mm. I've seen through my life, all of those folks. I, I remember getting up in the early hours of a morning in July in 1969 when I was about 10 years of age and watching watching Armstrong go on to the moon. I, I remember when Lovell was fighting to bring Apollo 13 back. And you think, my God, there's there are people who are leading incredibly challenging situations and in some cases life and death. And you're right with people like Bezos and Branson and all these folks. But the person who most recently for me has stood out and I think in many respects has been unheralded in in a lot of things Mm. that we've seen, particularly in the last 12 months, is a lady called Professor Sarah Gilbert, who most people probably have never heard of and don't know. And yet she was the lead on the development of the Oxford vaccine. And if you think about what we have experienced in the last year, if you think about the the incredible way in which we have changed the way in which vaccines are now produced from a period where it was, you know, two, three, four years out, I think the work that they have done in leading with AstraZeneca on the development of vaccination has been absolutely outstanding. And where we find ourselves today, and if you look at this in the backdrop of, you know, the global pandemic where the likes of Europe are, parts of the US, you know, we're in a position, we are leading the world here in the way in which we have developed a vaccine which is dealing with a pandemic that has been horrendous for so many people. And yet behind it all is somebody who comes to work, does her job very effectively with her team and Mm. and in the end has produced something that is changing the way we live. And I think genuinely, as that vaccine improves, the next iteration and the one after, it'll get better and better. And the day Mm. will come when just like we do with our flu jab, we'll end up getting a COVID jab, et cetera, et cetera. But but the other aspect to this for me is if you think about all these great leaders who, like Mandela, and you look at the great businessmen, Mm -hmm. in the end, what they come back to is philanthropy. 
philanthropy. It's all about the human. Mm. It's all about what can we do to advance us as a race, mm. be it the extraction of polio in Africa, in the case mm. of, I think, Bill Gates, or in the case of Elon Musk, the exploration and Branson, the exploration of space. We come back to almost the fact that we have to think about ourselves in some basic ways. And I think Maslow's hierarchy of yeah. needs, you know, that kind of basic requirement of food and clothing, safety, love, belonging, mm. esteem, friendship, self-actualization. All of those things, I think, become really important. But for me here and now, as I look at kind of who are the things, who are the people I've been, if you like, reflecting on since I was asked this question, I thought yeah. in the current yeah. time, there are probably few. I mean, Attenborough's in there as well, of course, for what he's doing around climate change. But for me, what we've seen mm. in the last year around the production of vaccines is something that I think will change the landscape and, and the thinking. And, and so for me, you know, I take my hat off to Sarah Gilbert for the work that's been done. And I think it's absolutely outstanding what's been achieved. And it's British. And I think that is a great thing to stand behind. Well, what a great choice. I had no idea what you were going to say. And <laughs> I have all the stories we heard about how long it takes to create a vaccine before the pandemic came along. Oh, it takes five years. It takes 10 years. And now we've, we've done it in super quick time. And I think the wonderful thing about that story is it makes everyone question I everything. And I think that's what we should be doing is, you know, leaders ask great questions, which I absolutely agree with. But I think stories like Dr. Sarah Gilbert and, and the development of these vaccines makes other people in other walks of life sit up and say, well, why are we waiting for six months, one year, three years for that to happen? Why can't we do that quicker and ask those basic questions? So great example. She clearly must be incredibly driven. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming up with a great gritty leader for us today. Well, Jim, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's gone in a flash and we've been speaking for about 45 minutes. It's been great to have you on the podcast. Wanted to get you on here since we started it. Wanted to wish you continued success in TTC and, of course, with your family. And make sure you get time to, to have some downtime too because, you know, we've talked a lot today about, about work and business and leadership. And I know that in previous incarnations when we used to get together through Vistage in the group, we talk about health and well-being and personal life and all that. I know how important that is to you. So wish you every success in every part of your life and thanks for coming on the podcast. Listen, it's been my pleasure. And, um, I, you know, always happy to do this so i've really enjoyed it it's been a great conversation and uh, i wish you well with gritty leaders club and i look forward to listening to future podcasts so go well and above all stay safe thanks very much bye for now thanks Ian.